I'm going to dive into the message this morning because it ties right in. We're in the series, second part of a series called Waiting. Waiting. Uh, we don't like waiting. Anyone, does anyone love waiting? Anyone just like, man, I, my favorite thing to do is to stand in line, right? <laughs> one person, one, one honest person in the room. Love it. Maybe just catch up on email and stuff. None of, we don't like waiting, and we're not good at waiting. We talked about this last week uh, in the intro to this series. We're just not good at waiting in our culture and in our society. And I showed some pictures last week of, of traffic or standing in line at Costco when the line like extends up the aisles, right? Have you ever walked into Costco and checked the length of the line before you start shopping to see if you're going to stay, right? Or, or how about, I was at a grocery store the other day, and, and there was a really long line at one cashier, and nothing else was open, right? And do you just feel your blood, does your blood, blood pressure just go up a little bit, right? And you're just like, come on, people, like, open another check stand, because I've got places to go. We are not good at waiting. I'll tell you, um, you, you, you're a Dodger fan, you experienced some waiting this week when, with this, right? Just check out that picture. Is it there? We're waiting on the picture. There we go. Um, who, who stayed up through all 18 innings? Right? And you're waiting and waiting and waiting for that. Just a base hit, right? Let's just get, let's just get someone. Let's get this thing over with. Incredible, 18 in innings. Funny enough, um, I, I, a few years back, I went to a baseball game. I'm not a big sports fan, I'm, and I'm not especially a big baseball fan either, but a friend of mine was visiting out of the country, and uh, he was down in San Diego, and we're like, hey, let's go to a baseball game. So we go to a Padres-Rockies game. 22 innings. 22 innings. And here's the thing about games that go that long. They're boring. They're bore. I was going to say something about baseball being boring, but I'll offend too many people. But I grew up in a country where we played cricket, and those games lasted like six or seven days. So at least at least one day is better. We don't like waiting, even if it's for our team to win. We don't like waiting to know if we got the job, if we got accepted to the college. We don't like waiting to receive the doctor's report. We don't like waiting on. Uh, that person that we'll meet that one day will be our spouse. We get in a hurry and sometimes get ahead of ourselves. Uh, we wait to have a baby or get a promotion or maybe you're just waiting to go on vacation. My wife is waiting to go to Hawaii, right? And she's waiting very, very patiently. This room this morning, in this room, we represent all kinds of of waiting, and you know the real struggle for us is is not so much the waiting; it's what's happening internally. And and what's happening internally is this: is waiting reminds us that we're not in control, that we're not in control of our own lives, that that there's things that are beyond what we can shape and fashion, and 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 we start realizing that we uh, we're not strong enough, we're not wise enough. We're not rich enough, we're not disciplined enough, or whatever enough to, to really kind of craft and shape our own destiny. And we can make decisions and we can make plans and, 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 and kind of set our, our feet along a particular path. But even as we heard this morning, those things can change. 
in a minute. They can change in a minute. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves in a very different place. And so we're not in control. And so we don't have a problem with waiting. We have a problem that, that really the problem is this. We're control freaks. Just look at the person next to you and say, you're a freak. <laughs> no, don't do that. I'm just kidding. Um, some of you go way too into that way too quickly. Hey, last week we looked at John chapter 11. I want you to turn your Bibles this morning. The verses will be up on the screen. John chapter 11. We looked at verses 1 through 16 last week, and it's the account of when Jesus, uh, people come to Jesus sent by Mary and Martha to let him know, hey, our brother Lazarus, the one that you love, your friend, is sick. You need to come and and do something about it. That's not written in the passage, but it's definitely implied. If someone's sick and you're close to Jesus, Jesus, help. You you can do something about this. And Jesus' response is that he stayed where he was two more days. We're going to read this morning. We're going to continue in verse 17 through 32. Larger portion of the story But I want to read the passage, and then we're going to uh, make some notes or take some points out of the text this morning on the heels of what we shared last week. You know, God hears, God sees, God knows what you're walking through. He doesn't delay for the sake of delay. He delays because he sees the big picture. He delays because he knows what's best for you, not to punish you. We have to get it out of our heads that God is just out to punish us. The Bible says that he disciplines and he corrects, but we default to punishment. God is doing this to me because that's not the God that we serve and that's not the God that we love. So let's pick up the reading here in verse 17. It says this, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who is coming, who has come to the, into the world. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So let's recap a little bit. Jesus is told that Lazarus is sick. He waits two days, as I already said. And when he does leave, 
The disciples tell him to stay. So at first he gets the message, hey, you need to come quickly. So he doesn't come quickly. He stays where he's at. And then when he decides to go to Bethany from where they were, the disciples go, no, that's not a good idea because the last time you were there, they tried to stone you. Can, you. can you notice this pattern here? Jesus doesn't always do what people tell him to do, right? Maybe in your life you've experienced, Jesus, I need you to fill in the blank, and then he doesn't do what you tell him to do. Why? Because he's God. And he sees with a different perspective to what you do. So he's not subject to our expectations and our regulations and our demands. Why on earth would you go to a place that is uncomfortable and dangerous when what's happening right here is just great? So so Jesus stays two more days in a place where there's effective ministry happening People are putting their faith in him. Miracles are taking place and they're excited that he's here. And at the height of the ministry, he says, okay, now we'll leave. And we're gonna go to a place that could very well be dangerous and ultimately ends in in his life being taken. We get comfortable and we like things and we feel like, oh, because it's comfortable, this is where God wants me to be. Jesus was led by the Father from comfortable places into uncomfortable places. How much more will the Father lead us out of our comfort to be uncomfortable for his sake and for his kingdom? Total side note. So Jesus arrives in Bethany. He's come from however far away it was that he traveled. We don't know exactly where he was. But we do know this, by the time he arrives... Lazarus not only has died, but he has been in the tomb for four days. Why, why is four days significant? Well, in, in the Jewish culture, and especially in that part of the world where it's not particularly cool, tends to be a little on the warm side, bodies decay very quickly, very rapidly. And so after someone dies, they would bury them as quickly as possible to prevent the spread of disease, because they, they, they must have figured out that if someone's died and, and that, that corpse is there, that, that if you come in contact with it, there's all kinds of things that you can contract and diseases that you can get. So they were very quick about burying the body. Four days was significant because after four days, you could actually detect the odor of decomposition. And you knew at that point, it's, you're, you're beyond the point of no return right? You, 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 there's no coming back. You understand this. We, we know that there are people who are in the hospital or in life support or in a coma, and we can hook them up to all kinds of equipment that monitors their, their functions, and we can realize, okay, there's still activity here and keep them alive. Back then, they didn't have that. So if you slipped into a coma, we don't know if you're alive or if you're, if you're dead. But after four days, if there's a, a bad smell, which later on it goes to say when Jesus is standing in front of the, the tomb, then we know, no, you're, you're, you're gone. Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. Jesus took his sweet time getting there. It says that many Jews had come from Jerusalem, which is just a couple of miles away from Bethany, and they'd come to Mary and Martha to comfort them. In that culture, there would be an extended period of mourning. It was a big part of their grieving process is you would actually have people that might not have even known Lazarus, but they were kind of like the, the, the professional mourners of the day. 
And they would come and surround your home and be in your home, and they, they would just cry with you loudly, and they would wail. And I mean, it's hard to, to wrap our heads around, our minds around that kind of activity, but this was something that was normal. And so they would, they would just sit and, and weep with you and cry with you. And that's why even later on when we see Mary gets up and leaves, they all follow her. We're going to just go and cry with you somewhere else. And so it, it seems kind of contrived, but I got to tell you, when, when you're hurting to have someone sit with you and, and, and be with you in the midst of your pain and not say anything, by the way, just be with you is so super important. In fact, that's the message for next week, so I'm not going to get ahead of myself. These people had showed up before Jesus even did. People that didn't even know Mary and Martha, who were there just to, to mourn, showed up even before Jesus did. It's important for us to note because it seems like they cared more than he did. So he arrives on the scene and Martha goes out to meet Jesus while Mary stays at home. Now we're familiar with these two sisters because it was in their home where Jesus is teaching and Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha is in the kitchen getting the food ready. And she starts complaining, you know, Lord, could you tell my lazy sister to get up and come help me out. There's work to be done. And Jesus says, you know, Mary's chosen the better thing. And what's, what she's chosen will not be taken away from her. So it's interesting that in this case, Mary, and Martha's the one who, full of the activity, says, oh, Jesus is here. I better go greet him. And Mary's just going, I just need a moment. I'm just going to stay right where I'm at. And so she goes out, and she meets him. And, and what she says to him is, Lord, if you had been here, if you had showed up on time, if you had made it, my brother would still be alive. There's no doubt in her mind that Jesus could have saved her brother. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. My brother would not have died. It's, it's hard to read in the text into what the tone of that statement was. But you can definitely sense the underlying emotion. You're the one person who could have done something and you didn't. Now she's having to mitigate or manage the, 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 the tension she feels in her own spirit, in her own heart. She loves Jesus and she knows that Jesus loves her. Yet she's feeling something so deeply and there's just this, ah, God, if you had made it on time you would have made all the difference. So then she makes the next statement, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. So, so we see that tension even played out in what she says. If you had been here, he wouldn't have died. But even in this moment, God, I know, I mean, Jesus, I know that the Father, that God will give you whatever you ask. And she exhibits incredible faith. There's this amazing statement of faith. I'm gonna tell you something. When you're in the midst of trauma, when you're in the midst of grieving, when you're in the midst of emotional pain, don't you ever feel like you're on a roller coaster and there's highs and the lows? That's what we see here. One minute, if you were here, but I know God will give you everything, anything you ask. And so we see the frustration and we see the faith. It's okay to live in that tension. Can I tell you right now? 
I think sometimes as, as people, as followers of Jesus, things go badly or, or sideways in our lives and we feel like we have to fake like this piety and this, oh, well, all things work together, which they do because it says it in God's word, but it's not about you mustering up or faking it through the moment or denying what you're even really feeling. That God is not going to be shocked or put off by the fact that you're having a hard time. It's not going to send him into a frenzy or, or, or make him unstable. He's okay with the fact that you're dealing with real issues and real emotions. That's what I love about the Word of God is that these stories don't just exist for us to be able to go, oh, that's interesting, that we can relate to this and even insert ourselves into the story. God, how would I feel in that moment? I'd probably be feeling the way Martha did. God, if you had moved, maybe you even said that. God, if you had done something earlier, that wouldn't have happened. But God, I still believe in you. But God, I'm just really frustrated right now. But God, I know that you're God. Read the Psalms. David had this down, right? He had it down. And it's actually healthy. It's actually appropriate. So Jesus, his response to her is this, your brother will rise again. He just says it plainly. And it's not the first time he said it. It's the first time he's saying it to Martha, but he had already told the disciples, hey, Lazarus has gone to sleep and they think, oh, he's taking a nap. That's a good thing. And he's like, no, Lazarus has died, but he's not gonna stay dead. He's gonna rise again. He just says it plainly. Martha, your brother will rise again. And he just says it. Makes a statement about what is going to happen. In fact, previously it said this will not end in death. This is for the glory of God. I'm going to draw my first point here. And you can write this if you're taking notes. or uh, It's also on the app and the notes uh, on the, the Thrive app. First thing that we have to do in the midst of waiting is this, we need to learn to hear his voice. We need to learn to hear the voice of Jesus. There, there are a lot of voices. There's a lot of voices in your life, and there's a lot of voices that are competing for your attention. By the way, your own voice included in that. There's a lot of noise. But here's what we need to know, that God is not cryptic. God is not cryptic. He speaks plainly. I know, do any crossword puzzle like fans in the room, anyone like to do the crossword puzzle? You know, you get across, come across those cryptic crossword. I, I can't stand them. Like the, the clue is like so obscure and you're like, and then someone's like, oh, it's this. And they write the answer. And I'm like, you just gave me the answer and I still don't get it. I don't see the connect, right? And it's frustrating. God is not cryptic. He's not out to frustrate you. He's not some puzzle or enigma that needs to be solved. That God speaks plainly. The challenge isn't if God is speaking plainly. The, the challenge is are we listening to what he is saying? We convolute the message. We distort the message. Or we just plainly don't listen to the message. You will not hear the Lord if you're not listening. And so we need to learn to hear his voice. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. 
He just says it plainly. God wants to speak into your life, into your circumstances, into whatever is happening around you or in you. He wants to speak plainly. It's interesting that the disciples and Martha, even when he says plainly this is what's going to happen, they still had a hard time understanding what he was saying. I closed last week with this passage. Psalm 130 verse 5 says, I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. Have you ever felt like you're waiting with your whole being? You know, that sense of like, oh, I'm just agonizing over this. Lord, I can't, I'm just waiting on my whole being. Everything is focused on this. And in his word, say word. word. In his word, I put my hope. In his word, I put my hope. See, I'm convinced of this. God is a personal, intimate, loving Father. He just is. He has and is doing all He can to make His voice heard. He's not withholding. Throughout history and throughout the Word, throughout Scripture, we hear and we see this. He is doing everything He can to make his voice known and heard to the children that he loves. He loves us. He loves you. He's given us his word. He's given us 66 books that contain his heart, his character, his nature. And he invites us. He says, come and and, and receive from me what I want to speak to you, what I want to do in your life, what I, what I want to encourage you with, the promises that I want to give to you, the understanding that I want to bring, the wisdom for the circumstances of your life, it's, it's right here. He's given us his word. He, he gave us his son. For God so loved the world that he gave. He's given us his son. He's given us his spirit. And in fact, Jesus, when talking about the Spirit of God coming upon uh, us as his followers, he says, what father, when, when his son asks for bread, would give him a stone? And he refers to the loving, intimate, caring father that God is. And even in the book of Romans, Paul writes that all creation declares the glory of God. That even what has been made shouts to us that there is a God who cares about and loves us. He wants to talk to you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to have loving dialogue with you. And he wants you to be able to put your hope in him, in his word. But church, we will not hear his voice if we don't stop to listen if we don't stop to pay attention, if we don't tune into what he has to say, and I get it, we have full lives, we have a lot going on. But we have to get to a place where we recognize that this is the absolute priority of our lives. It was the priority of Jesus' life, that he took time away with the Father to hear his voice because it was the voice of the Father that determined his next steps. And Jesus himself said, I don't just do what I wanna do, I do what the Father tells me to do. 
I follow his word, his direction. I, I, don't just, I don't just function in my own strength or my own understanding. I go back to the Father. How much more do we need to go back and say, God, what are you saying? What are you speaking to? Oh, I don't have the time. Oh, I don't like to read. Oh, I don't, and, right, and we start making excuses. Church, there's just no way of getting around it. If you want to know the heart of God, you've got to hear his voice, and you've got, you're going to hear his voice. You've got to make time to be in his presence, to listen to him. Let's go back to the story. So Martha, her response to Jesus, he says, your brother will rise again, and so she responds this way. Well, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. She responds with a theologically accurate answer that misses the entire point. Martha tends to get a bad rap because of the story I mentioned before. Oh, Martha's just the busy one and Mary's the one who just loves Jesus. But we can tell here, Martha is no dummy. She's pretty clued in. She knows what's up. She spent time with Jesus and she's listening and she's paying attention. And so she responds with an absolutely accurate statement. Jesus, I know he will rise again. I know, I know that on that day, on that day that, that you will bring about a resurrection and all the dead will rise in Christ. I know. And there's this peace in my heart that one day I will see my brother again. Absolutely accurate, but not at all what Jesus is saying. She still misses the point of what his words are. You know, sometimes we try to get really theological to try and explain why God hasn't or why God doesn't or why God did. And we get all kind of wrapped up in the words and the loftiness of our thinking theologically accurate, and God says, yeah, but you're still missing the point. You're still missing the point. Can I tell you this morning that God doesn't need us to make excuses for him? God does not need you to make excuses for him. He doesn't need you to fill in the gaps either in your own life or in other people's lives. Sometimes there's a period of waiting, and God's okay with it. And one of the worst things that we can do, especially when it comes to uh, interactions with others, is maybe someone expresses their frustration in the season they're in, and you start going, well, let me pull some random passages together and try and string together some kind of thought that makes you feel better, but misses the heart of God. You, you know, one of the best things I've learned to say as a pastor, I don't know. Well, pastor, what about this? I don't know. I have no idea. Why is this happening? I don't know because I'm not God. In fact, I'm probably feeling the same thing you're feeling right now. And we have to resist the urge to just make stuff up to make people feel better because at the end of the day, we could actually be steering them, them or ourselves away from the very thing that God is trying to say. Especially because we like to be comfortable and we don't like to wait. So we're going to try and find the shortest route to get back to comfort and not waiting as possible when God's going, no, no, I need you in this place for a season because I'm doing something deeper. 
You know, Joseph sat in a jail cell after being sold into slavery by his brothers, right? Taken away from the land that he knew, the land that he loved, the father that cared about him, and falsely accused, now sitting in a jail cell, waiting. What was God doing? Punishing him? No, he was preparing him. God was preparing Joseph, not just for his destiny, but for the destiny of Israel. What God is up to is so much bigger than what we can see in the moment. Don't make stuff up. It's okay to say, I don't know. And it's not that, that, that Martha's response was, was bad. In fact, she has a revelation from God. There's something powerful that happens in this moment. Jesus goes, like, responds to her statement and says, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, you're right on. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Such a good question. Martha, you, you're, you're tapping into something that you don't know in your own wisdom and your own strength. It's like when Peter declares who Jesus is. You're the Messiah, you're the son of the living God. And Jesus says, no, no person told you this. This came from the Father. Same thing from Martha. Same thing for Martha. She hears this from the heart of God and she makes a prophetic statement about who Jesus is. And Jesus affirms it. Now her heart is just, she's hurting and she's just trying to feel a little bit better. And even in the midst of her pain, she gets a revelation of who God is. And Jesus backs it up and he says, you're right on. This, this is who I am. She says in, his, in response to his question, do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. And echoes and mirrors the, the, the statement that Peter makes. He doesn't correct her and say, you know, Martha, even though that your statement is accurate, that's not what I'm talking about. If you would just pay attention to what I'm saying, you would realize what, right, he doesn't go there because why? He's a loving, caring God. She just had a revelation from the Father and that's awesome. Can I tell you, when you put yourself in a place to listen, you will start seeing the bigness of God. In the midst of your pain, in the midst of your waiting, in the midst of whatever it is you're walking through, if you will take time to sit in the presence of Jesus and listen, you will see beyond your circumstance and you will start seeing the bigness and the awesomeness and you will have a revelation of who God is. That is so much better than him just fixing your issue does he care about your stuff absolutely but there's so much more there's so much more second thing is this we need to believe and receive what god is saying we sang that i believe it i receive it i don't know if we sang it today we sang it last week my god is in control right even when i don't see it even when i don't feel it I know that God is moving. We have to believe and receive what God is saying. 
And it's not as easy as it sounds. See, because it gets filtered through. It gets filtered through our own thinking and our own emotions. God, I don't feel that right now. And he goes, that's okay. It doesn't make it any less true just because you don't feel it. It gets filtered through our circumstances. Right? They, it's been four days, Jesus. It's kind of stinky around here. The body, it's, whatever it is that died, it's died a while ago, and it's not coming back. And so I'm looking at the circumstance going, there's no way. Even for you, you're God. I know that God will do, he, he, the Father will give you whatever you ask, but in this case, it's too late. And so our circumstances start preventing us from receiving and for believing what God is telling us. Our relationships. Who are the people in your life that you listen to more than God? I had this picture this morning of, right, Mary and Martha had professional mourners that just followed with them, ooh, ooh, right, crying. And I had this picture of us walking through life with professional mourners. Oh, that's so terrible. Oh, yeah. right? Sackcloth and ashes, and, and you're going, I'm just trying to get some hope in the midst of this. Oh, that's just oh, that's horrible. Who are the professional mourners in your life who are distracting you from the voice of God? who actually don't give a rip about what's happening in your life. I say misery loves company, right? We have to make sure that we're guarding our hearts and that the voices, those voices especially, do not drown out the voice of the Father. And believe me, they will follow you and they will be used by the enemy to speak doubt and discouragement I mean, when Mary gets up to leave the house, they're like, oh, where'd she go? Oh, wait, we've got to follow her because, you know, we've got to cry with her. It wasn't even about her. They didn't even know where she was going. They assumed. Be careful about people in your life who assume to know what's best for you. To assume to know where you're headed and what God has in store for you. Can I just tell you, God will always tell you first. He won't tell someone else to tell you what you're supposed to do with your life before he tells you. He will use other voices to affirm it and confirm it. But if anyone ever comes up to you and says something to you about God's call on your life, God's plan for your life, God's future for you that doesn't line up with what God is already saying to you, run away. Because it's garbage. God will always speak to you first if you're listening. The reason we get so distracted by those things is we don't listen to his voice enough and then the other voices. Can I, this is just a little side note. I love podcasts. I love listening to audiobooks, but I'm very careful about what I listen to. I'm very careful about what I listen to. And I listen discerningly. I listen going... Holy Spirit, if there's something in this that doesn't line up, I'm deleting that. I'm getting rid of it because I want, I want to hear from you. Be careful about what you read and what you listen to, about what you expose your, your soul to in the name of trying to seek the Lord. Go to his word first. All right. Our history can get in the way. I can recall times that things didn't go the way I wanted them to go or the times that I remember that God 
didn't come through. What if Joseph had said that? You know, my brother sold me into slavery. I had this dream that God gave me that I had this future for my life. And then my brother sold me into slavery. I guess God didn't show up. And then just stopped there. So I'm going to just do my own thing now. But he didn't. And after every accusation and every wrong that was, was, was perpetrated against him, he kept his faith in God. And he didn't let the history of what had happened to him determine the future of what God had for him. Our culture prevents us from hearing, believing, and receiving what God has. And people around us and the culture around us would say, well, that's not wise, that's not prudent. Why would you do this or why would you do that? I had people in my life when I went to Bible college who were like, well, why, why would you go to Bible college? Why don't you go and get an engineering degree and then if you want to go do that church thing, right? I'm so glad I didn't listen to that. There is no backup plan with God. I say that again, there's no backup plan with God. We're like, I have my plan A and my plan B. Plan B is a lack of faith and a lack of listening. All right, that's hard. Right, whoa, whoa, you know, we got to be... Now, the culture, the culture says you need a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, a plan H, and a plan Q in case God doesn't come through. How many people have missed the call of God on their lives because plan A didn't seem to be going well, so they resorted to plan B? And it turned out to be plan stuck. There is no plan B. There's no backup plan in the kingdom of God. It is what it is. And he says, here you go. Now, what I love is the grace of God that when we get off track, he says, I'll just bring you by. He's like, I'll just redraw the road and the map. He can do that. But, but we have to get out of this thinking that I got to have some kind of backup plan to help God out. He doesn't need your help. He needs your obedience. He needs your heart. See, the culture could say, well, that sounds kind of out there. What you're describing, that's really kind of out there. Why would you go do that? Why would you sell everything you have and go whatever? That, that's, that's a little out there. You know that, that God says some out there kind of things in the Bible. He says to Abraham, leave your land, leave your possessions, leave your family, and go to a, go to a land, check this out, that I will tell you about later. He didn't even tell him where he was going. He says, just leave. Where am I going? I'm not going to tell you right now. Well, what do you mean you're not going to tell me? How can I make my pros and cons checklist if I don't know where I'm going? Just, just listen to what I'm telling you to do. Okay, so he did. Same guy, Abraham. Hey, Abraham, I need you to go sacrifice your son. Say what? <laughs> sacrifice the son that I gave to you in your old age. <laughs> I'm done. I'm out. Thanks. Been a fun journey. I'll just hang out here. No, he follows God in his obedience. That's out there. Sacrificing your son is out there. Can we just agree? Yet isn't that what God did for us? He says to this guy, Noah, hey, build an ark. It's going to rain. What's rain? There's going to be a flood. What's a flood? <laughs> build an ark. What's an ark? It's a kind of boat. What's a boat? None of those things existed. And his neighbors, we know in Scripture, say that he, they ridiculed him for a hundred years. 
They set up a little party and made fun of him. Says to Moses, go walk through that sea right there. That sea, yeah, the, 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 the sea, the Red Sea, walk right through it. Okay, with a million people, by the way. Says to Gideon, go to battle with 300 men. Not, not the tens of thousands you had initially, 300. And by the way, you're going to use trumpets and torches. <laughs> Says to Joshua, march around the city. Says to David, face the giant. Says to Sarah and to Mary, you're going to have a baby. Out of season and not in the conventional way. Jesus says to the disciples, follow me. At the peak of their careers, they dropped everything to follow Jesus. Hey, Jesus, does it come with a good 401k? What, what are the benefits like? And when do I get a day off? No, you'll actually give your whole life to this and you will eventually pay, die a painful death for the sake of the gospel. Okay, I'm in. That's pretty out there. Jesus says to us, love your enemy. He says to the disciples and to the crowd, hey, if you want to have any part of me, you will need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. You know that Jesus at that point, like went anti-church growth, like the crowd that had been following him all left. They're like literally all left. You know who was left? 12 guys. And he looks at them and says, what about you? And they're like, <laughs> we're, we're, way, we're in way too deep to back out now. Where are we going to go? Like, we're already associated with you. So we're, we're in it. See, God's willing to say some out there kind of things if we're listen to, willing to listen, listen to what he has to say. See, why do we think that what God speaks to us or declares over us or asks of us should be any different God, I'll do whatever you ask me to do as long as it's not hard or doesn't require me to move or to give up my lifestyle or to quit my job or to stop doing certain things in my life. My, my iPhone just got this update and it now tells me how, how many hours I spend on certain apps. I hate that feature. I have, to, I have a problem with words with friends. I really do. I looked at the hours. I'm not going to tell you how many hours, but it was a lot. And I realized I could, that's time I could be spending in the presence of Jesus. That's time I could be meditating on his word. That's time I could be spending with my wife and my kids. See, we get so distracted and we're like, Lord, I like things the way they are. And if I hear your voice, you might ask me to do something that's kind of out there and that people are going to think weirdly of me, which they probably do already, so it's okay. Just embrace it. Run with what God has asked you to do. Why would we be any different? In fact, all of the people that did and served God in amazing ways walked in ridiculous, crazy obedience to what he was saying. And then finally, we need to stand on his promises. We need to listen to his voice. We need to believe and receive what he is saying. And then we need to stand. And we have to take our stand, as, as Paul says in Ephesians, after having done everything, stand. 
Why? Because everything around you, the world, the enemy, your sin nature, the people in your life are going to try and set you off kilter. Hold on to what God is saying. I love to ask this question of people. What is the last thing you know that God spoke to you? That you know, that you know, that you know that was God. I know that was the voice of the Lord in my life. What was the last thing that he spoke to you? And I pray that it wasn't too long ago, but even if it was, hold on to it. Go back to it. Revisit it. Reignite it. Don't run away from it. Don't assume that it's too late. Well, it's been four years. Four, I mean, four days, four years, four decades. It doesn't matter. God say, you say, God, well, that thing is gone. It's dead. It's finished. There's no life in it. And Jesus says, it will rise again. It will rise again. Well, Lord, I know that you can redeem all things and you work. No, stop. It will rise again. Why? Because he is the God of new life. He's the God of resurrection because he can do what he says he will do. He can be taken at his word. And so we need to hold on to it. We need to declare it in prayer and we need to wait for it. Oh, you had to go there. Yeah, we need to wait for it. Habakkuk 2, 2 through 3, I'm gonna read out of the message. It says this. And then God answered, write this. Write what you see. Write it out in big block letters so that it can be read on the run. The vision, the message is a witness pointing to what's coming. It aches for the coming. It can hardly wait and it doesn't lie. And if it seems slow in coming, wait. It's on its way and it will come right on time. Get in the presence of Jesus. Ask him what he is saying to you and declaring over your life. Receive it and then stand on it. Write it in big block letters. I love that. The NIV says, write it on on tablets so that the herald when he reads it can run. Put it on something that is not gonna fade. It's not gonna be taken away. Have you written down what God is speaking over your life? Have you captured it? Have you put it in a place where you can be reminded of it? Are you praying about it and submitting it to prayer? I'm not talking to young people who have their whole life ahead of them or maybe in college and you're like, it'd be easy for older people to go, well, that's nice for the young folks in the room. I love Caleb at 80 years old. He's like, come on, let's do this. I've got as much energy as I do right now as I did when I was young because he held on to the promise and the vision of God. It's never too late. No t- not enough time has ever gone by for God to breathe life into his word and his vision and his declarations over your life. But you got to stand on it. You got to take him at his word. You got to make sure you don't miss what it is he's saying in the moment. The Bible says, let us hold unswervingly in Hebrews to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. And then finally, 2 Corinthians 1, 
20 through 22, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the amen is spoken, which is the seal of that yes. Spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Guaranteeing what is to come. I don't know what it is in your life that seems like it's died. It's lost its life. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a dream. Maybe it's God's call on your life. Maybe that you ex- experienced when you were a young person and it seems to have gone the wrong way. Maybe it's you're waiting for healing and, and, and you need God to bring a physical touch. Maybe there's an emotional wounding that needs to be restored. I don't know what that looks like, but God does. And I believe this morning that he wants to and has already been speaking to you. He knows what you need. He knows exactly what you need to hear. And he's asking that you would believe and receive from him his promises and then that you would stand on his word and just simply say, God, I believe you. Jesus says to Martha, do you believe it? I believe he's saying to us, do you believe me? Take me at my word. I'm faithful. I'll do what I said I will do. Can we stand together? Lord Jesus, this morning, I thank you that you are the same God, the same Jesus, the same Lord, who called dead things to life 2,000 years ago. That the same voice, the same authority, the same compassion, the same, con- same care is still present today as it was then. And so, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't miss your voice and miss your heart in the midst of our own thinking, in the midst of our own circumstances, in the midst of the world around us, in the midst of what's been or is. That we would receive from you a fresh word, a reigniting of a word maybe spoken long, long ago. God, I thank you that your word does not return void, that it always accomplishes what it sets out to accomplish. And so, Lord, I pray that we would surrender our lives to you, that we would welcome your word, that we would welcome your instruction, we would welcome your direction in our lives. We give you praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.